Good morning. I'd like to ask you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Today I want to talk about a condition that the Center for Disease Control will probably not warn you about. Although it's worse than the Black Plague, it's more devastating than AIDS, spreads faster than malaria because everyone is already afflicted with it. It's a disease called comparisonitis. Simply put, it's when we continually measure our worth or our success or our progress or even our spiritual growth by other people. It's an epidemic in America. I like my Toyota till I see your Lexus. I like my house till I see your mansion. I like my income until I find out what yours is. I like my Converse tinnies till I see your Nikes. I like my kids I like my pastor till I see your pastor. It's not a new disease. It's been around since the beginning of mankind. And Paul addresses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where he is being measured and compared to and criticized. And notice what he says in verse 12. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. If you are suffering from comparisonitis, it's my prayer today that in this message, you will be helped to diagnose it and discover that God has a cure. First of all, I'd like to talk about the symptoms. What are the warning signs? Number one is an inflammation of the ego. In medical terms, the suffix itis means inflammation. Tonsillitis means a swelling of the tonsils. Colitis means a swelling of the colon. Appendicitis means a swelling or inflammation of the appendix. Well, comparisonitis is an enlarged tendency to compare yourself with other people. And the prominent symptom is a swelling of the ego. It's thinking too highly of yourself. It's having an inflated sense of your own importance. And it's the very opposite of what God calls you to. Because in Philippians 2.3, it says that with humility of mind... We are to regard one another as more important than ourselves. God is calling you to a shrinking of the ego. Comparisonitis produces a swelling of the ego. Perhaps the best example of comparisonitis is found in Jesus' story in Luke chapter 18, where he talks about the two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a tax collector, the other was a Pharisee. The tax collector stood in the back 
and begged for mercy. The Pharisees stood and compared. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers are like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes. He was suffering from comparisonitis, and Jesus said that the tax collector went home justified rather than the other man. James and John were afflicted with comparisonitis. Their mother came to Jesus. I have to believe that they sent her there. Mom, you go ask him. Can my two boys sit, one on the right hand and one on the left hand, in the kingdom? Can they have the best seats in the kingdom? Now, why would they ask for that? Well, because they had compared themselves with everyone else, and they were better. They had an inflammation of the ego. You know, it's easy to have an inflated ego if you do selective comparisons. You can always find somebody who's lazier than you. You can always find someone who's less attractive than you. You can always find someone who has less than you. People love to do this in the moral area. I hear people say, well, I've never robbed a bank. I've never killed anybody. I say, what do you want, a plaque? Dan Green, non-bank robber. (laughs) So you're always going to look good if you compare yourself with bank robbers and murderers. Would you check your ego gland today? I don't know where yours is located, but is it swollen? Is your ego swollen today? If so, your comparisonitis is flaring up. You know, the problem with getting bitten by the comparisonitis bug is it's a no-win situation. If I compare myself with someone using my own flawed standards and I determine that I am better, what is the result? Pride. And pride alienates me from God because the Bible says God is opposed to the proud. And pride dooms me to failure because the Bible says pride goes before what? The fall. And on the other hand, if I compare myself with someone else using my own flawed standards and I determine that they're better than me, what's the result? Discouragement, self-doubt, self-loathing, which is the second symptom of comparisonitis. I call it criticism immune deficiency syndrome. This is a lack of immunity to criticism. It's when you're highly susceptible to criticism. The slightest criticism, even constructive criticism, causes you to be defensive. You need others to affirm you. You need others to tell you you're okay because you really don't know who you are. And when they don't affirm you, you feel inferior. The acronym for this is KIDS because it usually starts when we're kids. We call it peer 
pressure. We start comparing ourselves to our classmates. We compare our complexion, our size, our clothes, our athleticism, and then it carries over into adulthood, and we continue to compare. It's like the boy who was in love with a girl, and he said, Susan, I know I'm not as good-looking as Ronnie Jones, but I really like you, and I know I'm not as muscular as Ronnie Jones, but I'd like to go out with you, and I, I know I'm not as clever as Ronnie Jones, but will you spend time with me? And Susan said, sure, I'd like to hear more about this Ronnie Jones. Moses suffered with this symptom. When he was 80, God called him to go to Pharaoh, and Moses expressed feelings of inferiority. He said, well, what if they ask me what your name is? What am I going to say? And God said, tell them I am sent you. What if they don't believe me? Throw your staff down, and it'll become a snake. Well, my tongue's too thick. I I can't talk. Really, really well. And God said, who made your tongue? Oh. Well, Aaron's better at speaking than I am. Well, I'll send Aaron with you. You see, comparisonitis manifests itself in inferiority. Are you immediately defensive whenever someone tries to correct you? Are you always worrying about what other people think? Your comparisonitis is flaring up. Third symptom is blurred vision. Blurred vision. You can only see what's on the outside. You can't see below the surface. Paul points out this symptom in verse 7 of chapter 10. He said, you are looking at things as they are Outwardly. Our culture is obsessed with outward appearance. You check out at the grocery store, you see the gossip magazines, and they've got airbrushed images of Brad Pitt and George Clooney and Matthew McConaughey, and you say, I don't measure up. Well, that's because comparisonitis can only see the external. It can't see the heart. Israel's first king was a tall, handsome man named Saul. The only thing he lacked was character. He looked like a king, but he didn't act like a king. And when Samuel went to anoint his predecessor, he had the same criteria in mind, tall, dark, and handsome. So when he went to Jesse's house, he saw Jesse's firstborn son, Eliab, and he said, this has to be the one because he looks the part. And God said, no, it's not him. Instead, God chose the runt of the litter, David, because man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, David didn't look like royalty but he was a man after God's own heart. It is dangerous to compare yourself with other people because you don't have good enough vision. You can't see a person's heart. You can't see their motives. You can't see 
their attitudes. And the thing about comparisonitis is the more you compare with other people externally, the worse your vision gets. As you look at other people, do you evaluate them by fleshly criteria? Is your standard for cool all about external things? Your comparisonitis is flaring up. Fourth symptom is spiritual dementia. Those who compare, Paul says at the end of verse 12, are without understanding. You see, it's not only wrong to compare, it's dumb to compare. I heard about a guy who had the job of blowing the factory whistle every day. At 7 a.m. and 5 a.m., he would blow the whistle. He took his job seriously, so every morning as he walked to work, he would stop at the furniture store in that small town, and he would set his pocket watch by the grandfather clock in the window. He did this for years, and then one morning as he was going to work, the shop owner happened to be on the sidewalk. And so the man asked, how do you keep your grandfather clock so accurate? The shopkeeper said, that's easy. Every day I set it by the factory whistle. That's not reliable. You see, comparisonitis is is just that dumb because you're not the standard. And I'm not the standard. You know, we all know that. And yet we still do it which makes it doubly dumb. It's like the little boy who had a dog, and he told his mom, I'm going to sell my dog. She said, well, how much are you hoping to get for your dog? He said, well, I want $10,000 for my dog. It's a good dog. Came back home later and said, I sold my dog. She looked at him and said, you mean you got $10,000 for that dog? Not exactly. I traded him for two $5,000 cats. (laughs) Are you basing your value on the standard of other people? That's dumb. But that's comparisonitis. Martha's a great example of that. She compared herself to Mary. I'm working and she's lazy. It's obvious. In fact, she thought it was so obvious that it justified her being judgmental, frustrated, bitter, and demanding. In fact, she thought it was so obvious that Jesus was dumb not to see it. And so she commanded Jesus, tell her to help me. That's pretty dumb. Ever find yourself commanding God? You're dumb. Jesus set her straight because Jesus sees what? Jesus sees hearts. So the warning signs of comparisonitis are blurred vision. We can only see the outward appearance. It's spiritual dementia. We think dumb thoughts so that we look at other people and we either have an inflated ego or an inferiority complex. 
Second is the cause. What's the root cause of comparisonitis? Well, the underlying motive, the underlying drive behind comparisonitis is jealousy. It's envy. Let me show you a passage. Look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Now, comparisonitis is a lack of understanding. So he says, who is understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, this wisdom that's associated with jealousy is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. The cause is envy, and where does envy come from? He says it comes, it's earthly coming from the world, it's natural coming from the flesh, and it's demonic coming from the devil. Envy is that green-eyed monster that comes directly from hell. You see, comparisonitis is not just some little issue that we all live with. It's not, hey, it's no big deal. It's not, hey, it's just a part of life. It's based in jealousy, in envy, and it comes from the enemy to destroy us. And when it comes, it leads to disorder and every evil thing. Two shopkeepers were bitter competitors they would look at each other's shops across from each other and notice how much foot traffic they were getting. When one got a customer, he would smile haughtily at the other. One day an angel appeared to one of them and said, you can have anything you ask for with one condition. Your competitor will get twice as much. If you ask for money, he'll get twice what you get. If you ask for a big house, he'll get a huge house. If you ask for a jet plane, he'll get two. The store owner considered his options for a moment and he said, I want you to beat me half to death. You know, the devil convinced Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. And when you think about it, she had everything. But he convinced her that she didn't. And it wasn't really about the fruit. It wasn't, hey, I've never tasted a mango. It was about envy. Because the devil said, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. She was envious of God. And that's what led to the first sin. Comparisonitis is what caused Cain to kill Abel. He was jealous that Abel Abel had a better 
more acceptable offering than he did. Joseph's brothers were afflicted with comparisonitis. They were jealous of Joseph. He got the multicolored coat. He was the favored son, and it led them to sell him to slave traders. In fact, envy sent Jesus to the cross. Speaking about Pilate in Matthew 27, 18, it says, For he knew it was out of envy that the Jewish leaders had handed Jesus over to him. It's an epidemic. We all have bouts with it. Some have chronic comparisonitis. And some of you are in critical condition, pun intended. We watch TV commercials that tell us we have to have the newest, the best, the improved. We catch ourselves peering over the neighbor's fence. We watch our favorite car go by and we say, that car is me. We find ourselves window shopping. Did you notice the rock on her finger? Did you catch that watch on his wrist? When your friend says, I'll get the coffee, and he pulls out a wad of hundreds and he flips through them to get to the ten, you go, hmm. (laughs) Got to get me some of that. When someone else gets the promotion, when someone else is living your dream, the monster salivates and poises to pounce. William Arthur Ward said, Blessed is he who has learned to admire but not envy, to follow but not imitate, to praise but not flatter, and to lead but not manipulate. How do you do that? How do you admire but not envy? Well, that's the prescription. What is the remedy for comparisonitis? I've listed four things. You could probably add to this. Number one is celebrate your uniqueness. Celebrate your uniqueness. God made you different from any other person in history. You are an original, handmade by God, one-of-a-kind person, and you have no duplicate. The little swirls on the skin on the end of your fingers are not duplicated in any other of the six billion people on this planet. Your DNA is unique to you. The pattern of your eyeballs is like no one else. Even the shape and size of your ear is unlike anyone else's. In fact, I don't mean to offend you, but I will. You even smell different than other people. And if you don't believe me, go home and ask your dog. That's why the police use dogs to find lost people. Here's a piece of his clothes. Smell it and go find him. Why? Because he doesn't smell like anybody else. 
Psalm 139.13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Can you say that? My soul knows it very well that God formed me just the way he wants me, and I'm not like anybody else. Can you say that? Then why do you keep looking and saying, I want to be like that guy? Or I want to be like her? God didn't sit up in heaven making cookie-cutter children. God doesn't have a heavenly copy machine. I'm going to Xerox 2,000 disciples today. Boom, 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 boom. All the same. No. God makes every one of us uniquely us. And he wants you to be yourself. I'm not the kind of guy who makes you repeat after me, but repeat after me silently. God wants me to be me. Someone has said, just think, you are here not by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person you are. He compares you to no one else. You are one of a kind. You lack nothing that his grace can't give you. He has allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purpose for this generation. You are God's servant in God's place at God's perfect time. Celebrate your uniqueness. Second remedy, follow Jesus. Now that sounds like the Sunday school answer. So let me try to explain that. In John chapter 21, Jesus gives Peter three chances to say, I love you, to counterbalance his three denials. And after Peter says, I love you, I love you, I love you, and Jesus says, now I want you to follow me, but let me tell you where it's going to lead you. You're going to be a martyr for me. One of the few guys in history that knew his outcome. He was going to die for Christ. You're going to die for me, now follow me. And immediately, Peter got struck with comparisonitis. Jesus said, you're going to die, follow me. And Peter turned and looked at John and said, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to live till I come back, it's none of your business. You follow me. Now, what's that tell me? Not only are you uniquely made, but you have a unique path that God wants you to walk down. And it's different than everybody else's. You see, comparisonitis says, why does he get to live long and I'm dying? Why are my kids struggling and his are productive? Why is he wealthy and I'm poor? 
Why is his path paved? And mine is full of potholes. And Jesus says, follow me. Comparisonitis wants to take shortcuts. Always wants to take shortcuts. We look at somebody else and we say, I want to be like that guy. I want to have what he has. I want to live where he lives. But the reality is, you don't know what it took for him to get there. And you don't know the end of his story. The, compu- the cure to comparisonitis is to follow Jesus. Because wisdom says, follow Jesus and you'll be like him. Follow Jesus and you'll have what he has. Follow Jesus and you will be where he is. You see, you have a unique testimony. God has made you uniquely. He has called you uniquely. He wants you to walk a unique path in following him so that your testimony is going to be different than everybody else's. All you need to do is stop looking around and start walking it out. Third, live out love. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is not jealous. Love does not envy. When you are comparing and competing, you're not loving. Love is desiring the very best for the other person, no matter what it costs me, and expecting nothing in return. What is envy? Desiring the very best for me, no matter what it costs you, and expecting everything you've got. It's really the opposite of love. You see, if I love you, I don't want you to lose. In fact, if I love you, I'm willing to lose in order to make you win. Because what is the expression of love? Love is laying down your life for the other person. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all of the law and the prophets are summed up in those two commands. That's it. You don't need anything else. If you love God and love your neighbor, you don't need any commands. You don't need to be told you shall not kill if you love somebody. You don't need to be told you shall not covet or envy or be jealous if you love somebody. Just love God and love people. Have passion for God and compassion for people. 1 John 4 says, God is love. The isness of God, the essence of God is love. And Jesus is the personification of that love. So if we are following him, the characteristic of Christ's followers ought to be that we are loving as well. Envy is the opposite of that. Fourth, find your identity in Christ. This is real simple. Simply means that my identity is not found in externals. I am not my career. I am not my possessions. I am not the opinions of others. 
I am not the label on my clothes. I am not the car that I drive. Ladies, you are not the logo on your handbag. Men, you are not the size of your flat screen TV. You see, if my identity is found in externals, my position, my power, my possessions, my prestige, my pleasure, then I will sooner or later be massively disappointed. And then I will be in need of something else to make me worthy or valuable. And whatever it is, and whenever I get it, it will only be a matter of time until I need something else or someone else or somewhere else to give me self-worth, self-value, significance, which it never will because it never can. And so I'll always be saying, I want what you have. I want what he has. I want what she has because I will have an unquenchable quest for significance and value. And external things will never fill that for me. But if I see myself in Christ, if I see myself as whole in him, complete in him, forgiven in him, restored in him, redeemed in him, reconciled in him, blessed in him, empowered in him, equipped in him, gifted in him, fulfilled and satisfied in him with peace and purpose, overcoming in him, victorious in him, loved unconditionally in him. If I see myself, as Ephesians says, as God's poema, as God's masterpiece, then I don't need what you've got. And I don't need to compare myself with you. I can be totally happy for what you have that I don't because I've got everything I will ever need and more in Jesus Christ. Our mistake is so often that we have a scarcity mentality. I grew up in a home with uh, two brothers, and so oftentimes when there was a pie in the house, we were very careful to monitor the pie and who got the pie and how much pie they got. In fact, with my older brother and I would, would say, our mom would say, uh, there's, there's one piece of pie, you guys split it, Our motto was, you cut, I pick. Because I didn't want to get less than he got. I think some of us, as brothers and sisters in the family of God, have the idea that out there in the universe, there's a huge pie. And if you get some of it, that means that's a part I'm not going to get. So I look at you and say, you got blessed, and I say, why am I not getting blessed? Where's my pie? We have a scarcity mentality. Do you know what? The Bible teaches us an abundance mentality. 
His grace, His mercy, His blessings are infinite. There is more than enough. And if you get some, it doesn't reduce the pie. It's still there for us. Let me conclude by saying this. Comparisonitis is a psychosomatic illness because it's all in your mind. And so the antidote is, as Paul tells us in verse 5 of this chapter, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We have to capture the comparisonitis lies. They're not really that complicated. When the world or my flesh or the devil says, I must be like everyone else to be happy, I need to capture that thought and free the truth that God made me unlike anyone else. When the world or my flesh or the devil says, I must be liked by everyone to be happy, I need to capture that thought and release the truth that God loves me unconditionally. And that's the bottom line. When the world or my flesh or the devil says, I must have the things everyone else has to be happy, I need to capture that thought and free the truth that my true value comes from who I am and all I have in Jesus Christ. Are you suffering with comparisonitis today? There is a remedy. And it's very simple. It's found in Jesus. I'm going to have the praise team come back and lead us in some worship as we close today. And as we do, I pray that you'll allow God to encourage you this morning with who you are in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, then I invite you this morning to come to know Him so that he can give you all the things that he wants to bless you with. Let's stand as we close in worship.